I brought something from my office this morning. It's from Kate. I'm not going to read it, so I wouldn't get in trouble. <laughs> May 6th, 1997. Dreaming of you. This was a poem in a love letter to me. So sweet, I not only framed it, I actually wrote my response poem <laughs> to Kate, and I used this poem to propose her. Each segment has a different flower, and daisies, and red roses, and orchids. And then because of that, our memories of our first love still linger in our hearts. My heart still gets warmed up when I read this. And if you want to read it, go ahead and ask for permission from Kate. I'm fine with for you to read the back part only. <laughs> J.C. Ryle kind of writes it's a decade ago, I mean, the different century, a church bishop and spiritual leader and father writes about all different things. His book on holiness is a wonderful book too. But he writes about loving Christ is much like a loving other people in many different ways. And then it is true that there is a difference because Jesus is not a visible person in front of us. But we all started, if you belong to Christ, you all started with the first love. And the passage today, Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, is about returning to first love. And our vision has to do with about returning to first love. But it is always important to have the context to illuminate rather than reading into the text itself. So here are a few things that I'd like us to see. Revelation chapter 2 begins with seven letters, which is direct words of Jesus Christ to the seven churches in Asia Minor in the first century. Seven churches in Asia Minor were not the only churches but they were the representation of different types of church. And Jesus was not theoretically speaking to these people. Jesus was speaking directly to the literal people, starting with the church in Ephesus and six other churches. And as we read this and meditate on this, we are to give heed the words of Jesus, because this is, wasn't limited to that particular church, although this was a literal words to practical, real problems and commendations Jesus had for them. But it will end, each letter will end, whoever has the ear, let him hear. To the churches in general. That includes us. Our church in 21st century in Orange County, California. 
a little bit about the church in Ephesus. The Ephesian church was started with explosion, gospel explosion. I think the only other phenomenon close to this was the Jerusalem church, Acts chapter 2 church, when it was exploded and 3,000 people on the Pentecost day believed in Jesus Christ and got baptized. And every day they would gather together in their houses and breaking bread, sharing their lives. And they sold all the possessions, had a communal life together. They're deeply in love with each other as well as in love with God. But other than that, when Apostle Paul took the gospel, traveled to the Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and he landed on Ephesus. And Ephesus was a very unique city. It wasn't a capital of Asia Minor, but most important city probably. The Temple of Diana, or the, the Greek, the Roman version will be Diana, the goddess of hunt. In the, in the Bible, there's Artemis. Temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders in ancient world. There's a prominent, thriving church and spirituality. All kinds of things were exploding. People were visiting Ephesus just for that reason. And Paul came, preached the gospel in the Jewish synagogue for three months straight. Because they considered Paul as one of the rabbis and coming from Jerusalem. But he has so much of different things. And then many of them rejected and became hostile. Some of them believed and became disciples. So basically, Jesus took those little few people and went out and got into this uh, tyrannous school somebody was running and he was able to have that place to teach, have a mentorship and tutorship of these people for two years. So imagine that, two years of teaching from the Apostle Paul himself, expounding on all that. What happened was, because of that whole city was put upside down, people start believing in Christ, and they start stop going to the Temple of Artemis. And the Temple of Artemis, economically, it was very important to people to come and buy little idols, gods and goddesses, so that they could take it to into their home and put it there and have a private worship also too and good luck charms and uh, symbol of blessings and all the, all those kind of things and obviously those are people really upset and mad and there was a church I mean the city-wide riot great is the Artemis of Ephesians and then they almost kill Efficient. The, the disciples and, and the Apostle Paul had to escape in such a way that but driving things were happening. Supernatural things happening on top of the teaching to a point that 
the handkerchief of Apostle Paul, when somebody touched it, and they were healed. All different kinds of things are happening. So think about this overflowing joy and emotions. And this church uh, was filled with great teachers. Not only Apostle Paul, when he left, he sent his uh, protege and brother in Christ and co-worker, Timothy. The young pastor Timothy came and taught. Apollos, who was well known as a Greek scholar, and Greek, I mean the Old Testament scholar, and he was a very eloquent speaker, mesmerizing speaker. And also Apostle John, who actually wrote, received the revelation. There's a record of Apostle John himself teaching there. And even the lay people, lay teachers, leaders, like Priscilla and Aquila, the strong leaders. This, this church was an incredible church. No wonder the seven churches, six other churches, are the church plants of Ephesus, Ephesian church. They were the mother church of six others. But in the midst of all these good things and commendation from Lord Jesus, and he starts with that church first, and there is a wake-up wake up call. In verse 4, having said several lists of commendations, Jesus will say, but I have this against you. What was it? They left their first love for Jesus. Which matter the most to Jesus. And it is uh, for the wake up call is for us as well. In living in Orange County, when we feel like everything, including our spirituality and church, is so well and under control. But we are to give heed to this wake of call. So from this, as a Christ-centered vision for an all-out love in all of us. All-out love for Christ in all of us. And let me explain a little bit of why. I'm proud of our church and even hearing these seven stories and seven stones. The things that we dreamt about in some sense is happening right in front of our eyes. People taking scripture seriously. Solitude and silence day is not ignored anymore. But well participated, men and women, there's a deep heart sharing and seeking for real transformation rather than superficial behavior modification on, on the surface. Things are all happening. And uh, I think one of the stories we mentioned that 
we were apprehensive about commitment. Yes, our church is really different in that sense. We were trying to turn that consumer mentality upside down. What it means to be church in 21st century is going to church on somewhat regularly on Sundays for one hour, one hour, 30 minutes. You pay the due of your spiritual walk and everything else is extra. And we decide to be the church. We try to stay away from even attending the church because you don't attend your family and your home. Your husband says that you will be very upset. Your wife says that you will be very upset. I attend my family tonight. So as you were doing that, it's just so much of work. There is a rotation. There's a lunch today. It's a potluck lunch. And all of us extend out of grace and love and our thanksgiving. It is for not only for our family, but anyone who joins our worship together. It's a common meal. But just year after year, for seven years, somebody volunteered. And it's a rotation. And if you go to home group, there is a rotation for the home group. If you come and join and sign the covenant and become a member, you get to share a crossway story. I heard that some of our friends were hesitant just because of the fact that they have to share a crossway story. And I've been thinking and grateful, and our church has been doing so much hard work, and I'm so extremely proud of us. But yet, when you think about, do I still have this bubbling joy and love that I used to have for Jesus? And we will define what first love looks like lest we think that it's a mere sentimentality or the teenage-ish or the young 20s feelings. And today, as we begin our um, new year, our vision, which is a spiritual direction for 2015, is to return to our first love for Christ passionately. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know this is not just for you. It is actually for me. And I became competent in, in a lot of other things that I am proud of in, in a way that I, I wanted to be a good steward of God's word. And each Sunday, I am just thrilled my, I, I can't wait until I share the word from God rather than sharing my thoughts and inspirational stories, which has been good. But Lord Jesus reminds me, yeah, you, you've been doing well on that, but do you love me? Do you love me? And what about, what about all these people who, who just, you know, committed their lives to having quiet time? And they, they don't 
complain too loud anymore about structure and why do I have to do this every day kind of thing. Yeah. Paul, you've been doing good. You've been doing a good fathering and you try your best. But do you love me? So this is a call, not just from your pastor, from the the Spirit, our Lord Jesus and God, our Father himself, calling each one of us and as a church altogether to have an all-out passionate love for Jesus throughout this year. So I'll even call it a returning to our first love, all year long. Unless some, some people think that it's after this year we're going to stop returning to all lifelong. There's a three questions we're going to ask in studying this passage. First question is, why is it so important to love Jesus passionately? Second question, what does it mean to return to first love? And third question is, how do I return to first love for Christ? Let's start with the first one. Why is it so important? Once again, in the context of what what I've been sharing, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Notice that there are at least three commendations that Jesus gives their hard work and their doctrine and solid doctrine, and hence their discernment. Any false teachers they come in, they come into their church, they were able to detect and deal with it precisely and uh, discerningly. And then lastly, their perseverance in faith. They did not give up, they were steady, they were responsible. They're dutiful. What Jesus is saying is that your heart became dull. And in a very same way, some of you who did so much of hard work and so much of a trying to discern the spiritual things and write things not only for your church, but for your family, for your kids, and you persevered the hard times, 
You didn't give up on your faith. And Jesus commands you as well. But what are the signs of leaving that first faith, that first love? Number one is lack of joy. You do out of duty. So think about this. Um, our generation, because of postmodernism and personal feelings and personal experience is so important, we actually believe in feelings rather than believing God who doesn't change. And then what's wrong with this picture? The husband and wife are in love each other in the beginning of their first few months of marriage. And then after one kid, things get harder. Two kids, things get chaos. And they begin to live two different lives. Wives' needs are not met. And then the needs, the most important needs of affection is she's getting from the kids and the husband. His sexual needs are not met and he's, he's ignored. His pride is hurt. If you ask too many times and too many, turn, too many times your wife turns down, he stops asking. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have a need. All those things are happening. What happens then? Beautiful. You're being a good team player. For the sake of our kids, you bear, you be good dad, you be good mom. And no wonder, at the end of that stage, life stage, which is called empty nest, there are so many divorces. Because when the season's over, Gary Thomas said, your team is not ready and needed anymore. Kids are out. And you have nothing to share and communicate and enjoy about. In the same way, when did it become your life has full of duties and responsibilities? And then when you think, think about and when you're confronted about not having joy, you become so passive. And you're true to your feelings. Because I don't feel the joy. I'm not going to fake it. You become totally passive. Think with me. In the middle of the night, you wake up and you look at your boy and your, your, your girl. Who's throwing up in the, in the midst of all this you know, sick season. How many of us feel like, oh, wonderful. My, my baby needs me. I love her. I love him so much. And many of us say, why does it have to be tonight? I'm trained. I'm just, oh, my whole world is crumbling. Down. My husband is on a business trip. What do we do? We roll up our sleeve and take care of the baby. And you clean the baby. And you hold them. And you pray for them. You pray that the fever will go down. And as you're doing all these dutiful things. And all of a sudden. From the depth of your heart. There's undeniable love. And affection. Closeness. Intimacy. 
happens. Oh, my son. Oh, my daughter. I love you with every heartbeat of mine. Do you hear the call of Jesus? It's your lover calling you back. It's not, it's not your teacher asking for your homework. Do you notice that, that most, what matters most to Jesus is this love? But one of the main things that we emphasize so much at Crossway is God-centeredness. Christ-centeredness. Watch this. When it's not God-centered, it's man-centered, basically it becomes a me-centered, but all that matters is, tell me how much God loves me. Tell me how much I could feel God's care and God's love and God's blessing every day. That's well-accepted Christian life. What's wrong with that picture? When you begin to live a God-centered life, I am to love Jesus. That's what it means to follow Christ. To have love. As a matter of fact, when Jesus said, if you love your mother and father more than me, if you love your son and daughter more than me, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus has to be not just prominent in your life, but preeminent first of all. Unless you think that, oh, that sounds so not me, I, I'm, not, I'm not really there. But if you go on a different level to where the two meets together, you ask, would you want to be not just satisfied, but deeply satisfied in your heart? The most desirable treasure then you will find and you heard that in, in Crossway story today one of the seven stones as well is actually God the most desirable treasure when we find Christ and our love and duty eclipse together so Jesus is not only saying for because he's so needy, he's an almighty God, self-sufficient, self-existing God. He's calling us to get rid of the idols, the rivals in our hearts. One good example is when Jesus was resurrected, he, he visited his disciples. Remember Simon Peter denied Jesus for three times. And after they were, they, they caught the bunch of fishes and finally decided, uh, recognize Jesus, it was Jesus. And no one would say anything. And Jesus made a breakfast. I, like a sun's coming up and campfire. Jesus asked this to Simon Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than who? More than other disciples? And more than the fish? More than the sunrise? I think the concept is, 
we, we could attach to different things, but concept is the preeminence again. Do you love me more than anything else? Okay, if you were kind of trying to make sure that there's someone who denied you and you want to reinstall them, maybe ask for courage. Do you have enough courage this time? You will not deny me? Or, or maybe have you practiced your solitude and silence enough that you won't be able to be a big flake on me again? Did you read the whole Bible every day? Did you memorize some verses? Did you give, give tidings? No, his question is, do you love me more than this? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You know what, what's going on, right? Jesus wanted to entrust those people whom he loves so dearly. Now, when I'm not here, would you care for them? The only requirement that I'm asking you is your preeminent love. So without a doubt, today Jesus asked the same question that was given to Peter to each one of us. What would be your answer? Do you love me more than these? More than your career? More than your sons? More than your daughters? More than your family? More than your house? More than your bank account? More than your personal pride and respect and honor? More than your wife? Or husband. Second question. What does it mean to return to your first love for Jesus? There are two passages that will guide us. And there are so many other things that I didn't put, put it because of space reasons. John 14 verse 21 clarifies for us. Whoever has my commandments, Jesus is speaking to me here, and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I alluded to this passage a little while ago, Matthew 10, verse 35. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What it means, what does it mean to love? It, it means to, to love Jesus with full passion, whole heart, 
undivided heart, not in a second love, but in a, in a first love, the love that comes first. And once again, I think we need to make a note again, but it doesn't mean sentimentality or duty only. Just think about this. I want to return to my first love with my wife, for my wife. And I think, oh, good old days. Good old days. Kate used to look at me with that, that deep gaze. And, and when I touched her, her hand, while we're driving, I had electricity all my body. <laughs> she used to listen to me singing hymns for 45 minutes on the phone. Good old days. So if I sing now, she said, could you be quiet? But I want us to, to get this today. We're not talking about duty. We're not talking about sentimentality. We're talking about cultivating that heart. What, what might be potency as a Christian these days? Someone who could articulate, say a lot of things and quote Bibles. It's so ugly on the, online. You don't want to even look at it, right? Someone who does a lot of these social justice things, things and put it on the picture of how well you're doing, every visit you had, of you know, orphanage, or whatever that might be. Does that have an impact? I don't. I think not. But I'm going to tell you, people whether Christians or not, can tell the difference when they see the genuine love out of this love, out of this world kind of love. For me, at least for me, to see that, to witness that from my mom and my grandma, it was more than enough convincing, powerful, and I, I talk about my brother from time to time. It wasn't those people who are doing well only. My brother who has a speech impediment. My brother who suffers every day because of sickness. I see the power of God's life in him. Because of his love. Undying love for him, for Christ. So sisters and brothers, whether you belong to Crossway or not, this year... Would you have an all-out heart, all-out passionate love for Christ that you would begin to dream and think and want to be with Him? You continually pour your heart to Him, not out of your duty, and not even as a condition for, to get the blessings from God, but because you love Him. That he matters more and he's a more desirable treasure than anything else in your life. Then, I'll tell you, the people who are unbelievers around us, 
will get at least curious. I don't, I'm not saying they're all going to become Christian. Because they could tell what is real. That person has a really sound mind. He or she's not crazy or delusional. But he chooses, he, she chooses these decisions for love of Christ. It actually makes a radical decisions. And our brother Robert is in India. If I think about anyone who likes comfort, Robert is he. <laughs> I found out that India is really hot, but they're not culturally sensitive to wear shorts. So Robert has to wear long pants all throughout his journey. For 10 days, I'm sweating for him. <laughs> and we say, not because of our trendy things, but because of our love for Christ, that we will go to the remotest world, side of the world. And I'm not saying Robert is already there. By going him, going there with brokenness and humility, I'm, I bet the Holy Spirit is going to work on him. And he's going to come back with deeper love for Christ. And his heart will ache. See, I need to make this point very clearly. We are to make loving Christ both the most important duty in our life and the most important, most delightful joy in our life journey. Not one or the other. The last question. Now, now that we're somewhat convinced, at least, how do you return to your first love for Jesus? We're going back to the text again. Verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen... Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Remember that Jesus said that there are seven lampstands. Lampstand stands for the church. But the removing lampstand means the church will lose the impact. The lampstand doesn't have a lamp. Light. Jesus is the light. And you know what I imagine? All those dead church, churches, empty churches in European cities. Including Asia Minor. Turkey. It became a tourist site. The condition was, unless you repent, yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, and which I also hate. The Nicolaitans, so, uh, scholars will say that these are the people who actually believed in libertinism, antinomianism, basically by the grace of cheap grace, they were sexually immoral, and they were saying all these things under grace. There's nothing. 
that is uh, condemned. And then Ephesians rightly hated them. And Jesus commends them. I hate them also. But he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This part is the preacher's favorite passage because the outline is already there. Do you see the three R's there? Number one, remember where you have fallen, where you started drifting away from the pure, undivided love for Christ. Number two, repent. Turn around. Don't just have sad feelings, but turn around from your current ways to loving Christ passionately. Feelings or duties are not enough. Number three, redo. Do the things that you used to do by faith, not by feelings, as you water your heart and cultivate until it gets softened and you get to you begin to have deeper feelings and joy in your heart. Don't wait for the feelings. Obey, obey your way into feelings. Not feel your way to obedience. In closing, I wanted to share this. I kind of struggled about, how do I share the glimpse of my meditation? God had these flashbacks in my heart. Yeah. There were times when I was single, I was in love with Jesus, that I would look for places to hide out. And I'm talking about to spend time with God without distraction. I didn't have a solitude silence day in a declaration of it. I just wanted to hang out with God, hang out with Christ. There, there are places that I found and normally that people will not know that that's the quiet place. Sometimes I used to go to Starbucks and Starbucks, a bunch of people, it's so loud and they play music so loud, Right? But you go to old school donut shop, there's no one sitting there. You sit in the corner, bad coffee you could endure one or two hours, and commune with God. I still remember those times. I would go to park, I'll go to beach. And because of my love for Christ, I would spend time listening to teenagers. Hours. What are your memories? Your heartbeat? With audience this size, I don't want to assume the fact that everyone had experience with first love. So that's why with, with all my heart, I want to extend invitation to you. Jesus offers a free gift of life by grace. Grace means you don't deserve it. You don't earn it. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. It doesn't mean to come to Christ. And Jesus, 
all the things that I've been holding on to. I let go, and you are my first in heart. You're my Lord and my Savior. I will follow you, turning away from my ways. Would you do that? And some of you became so cynical, not that you're not, you don't have a first love, and you did have a first love. Maybe teenagers, when was the last time you had this deep joy, bubbling joy I'm talking about, that you love him so much? It's been too long. But do remember this. God's power, God's grace is bigger and better than your cynicism. More powerful than your hardened heart. So I want to close with my flashbacks. When I was in deeply in love, and it wasn't like a sentimental tears, when I was worshiping God alone, I remember singing, used to sing this, I love you, Lord. If you're old school like me, you remember this. And then recently I found out that John Piper, I love the poet heart in him because I'm a closet poet myself. He actually added two, two second verse and third verse. The Maranatha music was very popular back, back in the early 80s, late 70s and early 80s. So I, I, let me go ahead and read. The first verse, we need to give credit to Laurie Klein. The second and third verse, it was John Piper. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. May be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. I love you, Lord, and I stand amazed. My sins are gone. May your name be praised. Exalt my soul and behold his face. I'll ever sing, O my King, of your grace. I love you, Lord, and for you I wait. Your promises and your power are great. Make haste, O my God. May I taste your ways. I will magnify your sweet peace all of my days. May that be our confession all throughout this year, all year long, all life long. Let's pray. Father, we are, we are grateful for your reminders. Some of us we became so dutiful. There's not much of joy of loving you. And we pray by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that your kindness, by the kindness that leads us to repentance, would you call us every day this week to turn our hearts to you to cultivate all out love for Jesus Christ. 
And I pray for our church, that our church will be marked by our undying, passionate love, preeminent love for Jesus. Even before our kids and our, our family. Because really our deep confession to you, that you are the most the treasured joy in the whole wide world. And thank you for your grace that we come empty-handed and with your full acceptance we rejoice in you. We pray for those people who have not had experience of first love with Jesus. That you will call on them. That you will help them to come to Jesus humbly to receive the free gift. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. We pray. Amen.